Our passage this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Thanks, Terry. Well, good morning. You ever walk through a minefield? I'm going to begin this morning by asking you to stand. If you have been married to the same person, you still are, or maybe you might be widowed now, but you were married to the same person 30 years or more. If you would stand, I'd appreciate it. Isn't that great? <clears throat> Stay standing, because I want to do, maybe you've seen this in a wedding, right? You know? Okay, if you've been married less than 40 years, then you can sit down. It's awesome. How about less than 50 years? You can sit down. Look at all these that have been married more than 50 years. How about more than 60 years? Less than 60, sit down. Stay standing if you've been married more than 60 years. Isn't this amazing? Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's incredible. I want to, you can sit down. Thank you so much. Unless you want to stand during the service, that's fine too. But The reason I wanted to start a sermon on divorce with that is to remind you that marriages can last. Marriages can last. God's design is that Marriages are really meant to last, and so be encouraged, those of you who are in the midst of maybe some marital struggles or difficulties or difficult paths, whatever it might be, that God can help your marriage to last. We often hear tossed around statistics like, well, the divorce rate among Christians is 50% or higher. It's higher among Christians even than the general population. Well, let me just say that that statistic is somewhat misleading. A couple of things skew that whole statistic. One is that in our day, more and more people 
in our culture are choosing not to get married at all. And so they get together for a while and then they break up and so those don't enter into the divorce statistics anymore. They used to when people used to regularly get married. But So that skews the statistics out there somewhat. And another factor is that when you enter in the statistic of those who have been um, regularly attending church, then the figure drops, the percentage drops to 38%. Now, that's still way too high. That means approximately a third of you have experienced the pain and struggle of divorce. But the truth is that's way too high, right? (laughs) Too many Christians are opting for divorce. Look, let's, let's be honest this morning. Marriage is hard. It's wonderful, it's a gift from God, but it's often painful, there's conflicts. And the world around us says, hey, if marriage gets hard, if you're unhappy, if there's difficulty, then get out while the getting's good. You know, leave the marriage, go find someone else. That's what the world tells us. But we're believers, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And so for us, we need to say, well, what does God say? Because whatever God asks us to do, he will give us the resources to live it out. How would God have us respond when our marriages get difficult? That's what our passage today addresses. And as I know, many of you, as I've said, out there have been divorced. You've been through it. Some of you are sitting out there and you're considering divorce because of the pain of your marriage. You've lost hope in any healing happening in your marriage. Some of you have been through quote-unquote biblical divorces, biblically allowable divorces. Some of you have not. Some of you were divorced before you were believers. Some of you have been divorced since you came to Christ. Please understand, whatever your situation, God's forgiveness towards you is great. He loves you. He can wash away, forgive anything because his blood covers everything. But also understand that his guidelines regarding divorce and remarriage are pretty clear in Scripture, it seems to me and to us as elders. And that they're there because God loves you. His guidelines are meant to give you security and wholeness and life. I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon. You know, it's pretty deep. And I remember standing on the South Rim and there's a nice guardrail you can look over and really see the whole thing. It's amazing. And I like having that guardrail there because I can lean over. It gives me security. If it wasn't there, I would be really nervous about getting close to the edge. And you climb over that guardrail at your own peril. It puts you on dangerous ground. And God's guidelines are like that. They're meant to give us security so that we can live life to the fullest and experience it to the fullest. And when we transgress His guidelines, then we are on dangerous ground. No matter what your situation is this morning, It's never too late 
to understand God's perspective of marriage and divorce, and today on, from today on, to live it out, to commit yourself to follow what God says and to serve him. So please listen with an open heart this morning as we address this and ask God to give you what he wants you to hear. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we enter this difficult subject that touches all our lives, let my words be your words. Please, Lord, speak through me. Get me out of the way. And let your word be clear. And may you meet each person in this room exactly where they are with the truth they need to hear. And Lord, for those who are in hurting marriages, may they walk away from this with hope. Hope in what you can do to bring healing and life into a difficult situation. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's addressing this situation, this issue of a hurting marriage. How do you handle a hurting marriage. What's the setting, the context here? Well, in the Roman world, divorce was pretty easy to get, similar to today. If you wanted a divorce, you could just go ask for it. And the Christians, getting some biblical teaching, knowing that God wanted marriages to last, were struggling with how Christians are to respond in this culture of easy divorce. And they were struggling with how to deal with a hurting marriage. How do you hang in there? What, when is divorce okay? These were questions that they were struggling with. So obviously the passage is very, very contemporary, right? I want to look at six truths. They're all outlined in your bulletin. You can follow along there if you wish. Six truths that I believe God wants us to remember when marriage gets hard. When marriage gets hard. Number one, in verse 10, marriage is meant to be permanent. It's important we understand this. Marriage is meant to be permanent. Verse 10 begins this way. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. And then at the verse, end of verse 11. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Paul says, hey, by the way, this is not just something I came to. This is a teaching from the Lord. This is something Jesus clearly taught directly and we all know it. <laughs> He's maybe referring directly to Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus addresses this whole question of divorce as the Pharisees are questioning him and they ask him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause at all? And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Paul refers the Corinthians and us to this command of the Lord, this clear teaching from him. 
And Jesus says in that teaching that from creation, from the very beginning, God's design was this. A man and a woman joined together, and as the two joined together, there's a mysterious thing that happens. It's a mystery, he says. Paul says in Ephesians 5, there's this amazing mystery where two lives are joined and become one. It's meant to be something permanent, this joining of two lives. You see, marriage, we tend to think of it as, well, it's me committing to this other person and, you know, we get together and it's this human event that happens. Well, marriage is a human event, but it's far more than that. It's a spiritual union, a spiritual event, and that's why he says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Marriage is something we do, but it's also something God enters into in a mysterious way, a supernatural way. I've often used the illustration of marriage is like two pieces of paper being glued together. So if you break that apart, if you divide those two pieces of paper, if you try to separate them, what happens? You tear the papers. You can't avoid this wrenching. My friend Doug Gowen says, God hates divorce, and that's very clear in Scripture. God hates divorce mostly because He loves people and He loves relationships. God hates divorce mostly because He loves people and He loves relationships. And so when we break that apart, there's a tearing of our souls when a divorce happens, and it creates scars. That's just the reality. Marriage is meant to be permanent, so God's plan for mankind and for especially believers is that marriage is meant to be permanent. And if that's the case, then we can trust that He can provide the resources we need for a marriage to last for 40, 50 60-plus years. And we have plenty in this body to testify to that. doesn't mean it isn't hard. Marriage always has its difficulties, but he'll provide what we need to hang in there. So marriage is meant to be permanent. The second truth I see in verse 11 is that yet, however, God does leave room for separation. God leaves room for separation. When things are so difficult, you need some space. It says, interestingly, verse 10, the wife should not separate from her husband. This is the teaching of Jesus, he says. But if she does, if she does, in other words, he leaves the door open. He says, but I understand. Paul's very compassionate here. I understand that there's times where it cannot be avoided, where a separation for a time cannot be avoided. It does happen. There are times when things get so difficult, you need space. I and several other pastors at Cole right now are working with several separated couples. Separation may need to occur when there's been abuse, either physical or emotional, or when a person needs safety, or when the anger keeps escalating and you just can't be in the same house together. 
or the trust has been so broken that you both need to separate and focus on your relationships with the Lord for a while individually before you come back together. Separation is allowed at times in the Scripture. I so appreciate working with our Board of Elders. We came up with, about a year and a half ago, a paper, Guidelines for Separation, Divorce, and Remarriage. It's in the back wall if you want to pick it up among our policy statements. Guidelines for Separation, Divorce, and Remarriage. Our current board is really longing to love people well and help them through the difficulties of marriage but hold true to the scriptures. That's a difficult tension that we try to hold on to. Let me just read a couple of our guidelines. Number four, we see abuse and neglect as a very serious sin that cannot be allowed to continue. In cases of abuse, either physical or psychological, or neglect, we feel that the behavior must be interrupted through intervention and sometimes through separation or even criminal prosecution. The laws in all states prohibit physical abuse, and the laws in most states, including Idaho, allow for protection under legal separation or a decree of separate maintenance. However, we believe God's word does not allow for divorce in such circumstances. If you are a victim of abuse or even an abuser yourself, please talk to an elder, a pastor, or a lay leader. We will do everything we can to help you and to see the abuse stopped. The next guideline, under certain circumstances, a temporary separation may be advisable to gain peace for purposes of counsel. Such separation should be temporary and always for the purpose of eventual reconciliation. But if one spouse refuses to move toward reconciliation, a suffering spouse may be called to live separated for a long time. This is a painful situation. But we also know that if God calls that spouse to live this way, he will provide the spiritual strength and resources to do so. That's a difficult situation, but Scripture clearly allows for a time when it gets that difficult where you may need to separate for a time. But always the goal of that separation is reconciliation. And that is truth number three. God's goal is always reconciliation. God's goal is always reconciliation. God is a reconciler of relationships Again, verse 11, if she does separate, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. That word reconcile is an important one. It's only used six times in the New Testament. Every time except for this one place, it's used of God reconciling us to himself. God stepping into our broken relationship as as we're going our own way and walking in sin and choosing to walk away from Him, He sent Jesus to die for us, to remove the barrier between us, and He forgives so that we can have life. Though there was a broken relationship with no hope, yet God's grace steps in to bring a restored relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uses this term. Verse 18, it's talking about how God creates 
new creations in Christ. He says, all this is from God. This is 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I love that passage because it describes how God reconciled us to himself when we were going our own way. He died for us and Jesus to die for us and he chose to forgive and not count our sins against him. And then he says, and by the way, I now have made you ministers of reconciliation, you believers. I think what he's saying is, see, we have the opportunity in our marriages to act toward our spouse the way Jesus has acted towards us, to be ministers of reconciliation, to not hold the person's sins against them. And isn't that true of a good marriage? You constantly have to forgive because our spouse always sins against us. They're, they're not perfect. They're not Jesus. And so we have the opportunity to continually work at reconciliation, to continually not hold the person's sins against them, but to continue to move toward them with forgiveness in Christ's strength, to be that instrument of reconciliation. Yeah, but she's hurt me. Yeah, but he's, he, he's really hurt my feelings, or he, he's selfish, he doesn't love me well. And what he's saying here is, ah, but I get to grace her. I get to grace him with God's forgiveness, with God's reconciliation. One of my best friends in high school came to me a few years after we graduated. I was a new pastor, young pastor, and he said, would you do my wedding? I said, sure, but let's do the premarital counseling. We went through all the counseling. He was not a believer, and neither was she. And in the counseling, I took him to the scriptures and I said, there will come a time where you will realize to make your marriage work, you need Jesus. And I encourage you to turn to him when that happens. Five years later, he called me. He said, I'm ready. I need Jesus. He told me the story of how his wife had decided she didn't want to be married to him anymore, was having an affair, had moved in with another man and filed for divorce. Well, my friend accepted Jesus and decided to just wait. He wanted to be that minister of reconciliation as he waited and waited. Three years later, she said, I'm sorry, I blew it. Would you forgive me? <laughs> they worked it through, went through some counseling, and they ended up getting remarried. He continued to love her, though she wasn't still a believer, and then years later she finally committed her life to Christ. And today they're doing well. Folks, marriage struggles are an opportunity to depend on Jesus as never before, to stay reconciled, to, to let those sins go, to forgive and to seek to let Jesus' reconciliation power, resurrection power, enter into your relationship. But at the same time, I understand reconciliation means two coming together. It always takes two people listening to God. And so there may be times when a separation will last 
if one person is unrepentant. But God's goal is always reconciliation. Fourth truth we see in this passage is that a separated person is not free to divorce and remarry another. He says that very clearly in verse 11. She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. This may seem harsh, but it's because God loves us that there may be times where you may have to stay separated for quite some time. But he says stay unmarried or work towards reconciliation, but you're not free to remarry unless there are what we call biblical grounds for divorce, and I'll talk about those in a moment. You may be separated or you may be together. You may feel unmarried in your situation because you feel so isolated. But in God's sight, you're still married. There's still a unity that God has created that he says, don't separate it. Don't break apart what God has joined, but continue to look towards and pray towards reconciliation if that may happen. The fifth truth I see is in the next few verses. Marriage is a place to bring Christ to your family. Marriage is a place where you have the opportunity to bring Christ to your family. In these verses, 12 through 14, it's describing the situation of, okay, well, what about if you're married to an unbeliever? See, I think what was happening in Corinth is that the church was only four years old. So people had been coming to Christ and they found themselves in a number of marriages where one of the people had come to Christ but not the other. And so the believers were struggling with this and they're thinking, well, you know, according to the Old Testament, we see all these uncleanness laws that, that if you're touching something that's unclean, if you walk on a grave or if you touch a dead animal or around a dead person or you eat unclean food or you touch blood or some other kind of impurity that you become unclean and you have to go through this cleansing process. And so they were thinking, well, I'm married to an unbeliever. Does that mean I'm going to become corrupted by this? They were struggling with that. And Paul gives an amazing answer, really, because in the Old Testament, see, the only times that something became holy by touching something else was when they touched the altar or came in direct contact with God himself. And yet what Paul's answer is kind of amazing. He says, no, actually, if you're a believer and you have Christ in you, then you actually become holy and you bring God's holiness into your home. So you are a source of purification. He calls it sanctification in your own home. The Christian actually brings holiness to your home. Christ in you is purifying. Now, he doesn't say that they, your unbeliever spouse or your children, unbelieving children, will be saved because you're just in the home. He makes that clear in the next few verses. That's not what he's talking about when he says sanctify. But I think what he's saying here is he's saying they get the blessing of being in the presence of the living Lord in you. And they get the privilege of seeing the gospel lived out right before their eyes in you. And so you become a sanctifying presence in that home. What a privilege we have 
because Christ is in us to, in a difficult home situation, in our jobs, wherever we might be, we get to bring Christ because he's in us. I hope you see the incredible privilege of that. We get to live that out. My sister came to Christ after she was married for a while, committed her life to the Lord, married then to an unbeliever, struggled with that, wrestled with that, but she devoted herself to keep growing in Jesus. And over the years, finally, God began to work in his life and he committed his life to Christ and now they're walking together. And I know of many other couples like that where they've struggled, but one spouse has continued to love their spouse and be a light for Jesus in the home and then God has brought their spouse to the Lord. It doesn't always happen, but there's that opportunity there. But it takes tremendous dependence on Jesus, especially if your spouse is not very kind or loving and is selfish, but you get to give them a taste of God's love. That's an incredible privilege we have when we're living in a difficult marriage or married to an unbeliever. So, he says, bring Christ, bring Christ into your home, into your work, into your extended family. Wherever you are, you have Christ in you. So live it out. Live out Christ's love. Live out his reconciling heart in your families. The sixth truth I see is in this last couple of verses is that God does permit breaking of the marriage bond in three situations. In three situations. Two are listed in this chapter and then one in Matthew 19. Now, notice the world says, hey, there's all kinds of reasons why you can divorce. If you're a little unhappy for whatever reason or you get infatuated with another person or your marriage has struggles, you deserve to be happy and therefore it's okay to divorce. Now, I want to say something that I know is hard for us to accept sometimes, but, but I want you to hear it very clearly. In God's economy, your happiness is not very important to him. We don't like that, do we? But in God's economy, your happiness is not all that important. Now, in our world, happiness is everything. But in God's economy, there are other things that are much more important to God. Your trust of Him, your dependence on Him, your Christ-likeness, because He knows that real joy... He wants us to be, have a deeper real joy, but he understands the little things that make us happy on earth often will steal our joy away from us. And he wants us to have real joy, real life, real intimacy. So if you put happiness first in your life, you're going to be in trouble. But if you put Jesus first, you will get a joy that far surpasses anything, any kind of happiness this world would offer. So Paul says in these verses, 15 and 16, that if an unbelieving partner chooses to leave, then the believer is not bound in such circumstances. In other words, the number one reason he gives here, the first one, why a marriage can be broken up and you can remarry, 
is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. He's saying if an unbeliever doesn't want to be married to you and they abandon you, they leave, then you're not bound. He says if they're willing to stay, then stay with them. Be a light for them. But if they really do not want to be married to you as a believer, then let them go. You're not bound. You're free to finalize the divorce, to remarry. You're free to carry that out. I think Paul may very possibly, maybe likely, be speaking from his own experience. As I said last week, there's a good chance that Paul had been married at some point because Pharisees were encouraged to be married. They were supposed to be married. And if you're in the Sanhedrin, you were required to be married. And Paul pretty clearly was part of the Sanhedrin. So probably either his wife died or she left him when he came to Christ. So he had experienced this abandonment by an unbeliever. Uh, let me just throw out kind of a something to think about here. Here's the question for you. Who is an unbeliever? Who is an unbeliever? Now, it's pretty clear someone who says, I've never accepted Christ, I, I don't want to be a Christian, etc. That's clearly an unbeliever, right? So that fits in this category. But what about a person who says they're a believer but is clearly disobedient to the Lord. When can you say, well, that person seems to be living as an unbeliever and so they've abandoned their Christian spouse as well? You know, Scripture does actually seem to give a place where you, even someone who says they're a believer, they can be labeled as an unbeliever. It's when you go through the intervention process of Matthew 18, Remember that whole intervention process where it says, if someone is sinning, go to them. And if they respond to you, you've won them back. But if they don't respond, take a brother or sister with you and confront them together. If they fail to respond to the two of you, then tell it to the church. And if they fail to respond to the church, then at that point, treat them as a tax gatherer or a sinner. That's what Matthew 18 says. In other words... They've labeled themselves, they have made themselves an unbeliever by choosing to be disobedient after you've gone through that whole process. So it could be, and we've wrestled with this some as elders, it could be that somebody who says they're a Christian but you've walked through this whole process with them and they continue to be disobedient to the Lord that at that point that the Christian may be free to go ahead and divorce. But again, you can't do this on your own. It, it says you've got to go through the whole process with the church. You can't just decide for yourself that this person is just acting like an unbeliever so I can do what I want. Just something to think about here. So the first reason, abandonment by an unbeliever. The second reason for the breakup of a marriage, verse 39, it's the death of a spouse. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So you're free to remarry if your spouse dies. Now, if you're in a tough marriage, I don't encourage you to hurry that process along. I really don't think God would probably be too supportive of that kind of thing. <laughs> but he's being honest here. He's saying... 
If your spouse dies, then you have that freedom to remarry. But he says, and we'll get to this a little bit next week, but he says, only in the Lord. It's just a reminder to us that we're never free to, as believers, marry an unbeliever. If you choose to do that, you're only setting yourself up for incredible heartache because you're headed two different directions. No matter how close you are right now, you're only going to grow apart. So don't put yourself in that situation. God may put you in that situation if you have come to Christ and your spouse hasn't, whatever, after you were married. But as believers, never marry an unbeliever. It only causes more pain. The third reason given back in Matthew 19 in Jesus' clear words that make divorce or breakup of a marriage acceptable is immorality. Matthew 19, verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So we have, as elders, have really wrestled with that. What is he saying when he uses the term sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia? It seems really clearly, as far as we can tell, to be speaking of actual sexual intercourse outside of marriage. So adultery, homosexual activity, bestiality, perhaps some of those kinds of things. But porneia doesn't seem to include lust or pornography, some weird things like transvestitism and other things. Not that those things aren't aren't devastating to a marriage. They are. And I've seen that. I've seen all of them be devastating. And they may be cause for separation, but the Bible does not give them as grounds for divorce. And let me say, if your spouse has committed adultery, doesn't mean you're required to divorce. God's will is always reconciliation. The miracle of the gospel is that we can be reconciled to God and then we can express reconciliation and forgiveness to one another in our lives we become those ministers of reconciliation. I watched my own parents go through many years of a difficult marriage that included infidelity, anger, pain, selfishness, conflict, tension. Later in life, though, they both came to Christ and they began to experience real healing in their marriage and there was tremendous unity and tenderness in their later years. They're both gone now, but they, if they had divorced during those difficult years, they would have missed out on the blessing of seeing God's redemptive work in their hands, his miracle of reconciliation in their lives. Don't miss out on what God can do. Verse 15, at the end it says, God has called you to peace to shalom. You see, you and I are to bring shalom into our worlds. That's our calling as believers. Are you already divorced? Then God's called you to experience God's forgiveness and to bring shalom into your current situation, whatever it is. Are you in a difficult marriage? God's called you to bring shalom and God's reconciling heart into your relationship. It may take tough love. There may be need for separation. 
but you have an opportunity to bring Christ into that difficult marriage. Are you married to an unbeliever? If they're willing to live with you, you're called to bring shalom and God's presence into your home. You see, if you know Jesus, you have Jesus living in you. You have the very resources of God available to you to be a light in that dark and difficult place. So depend on Him. To close, I want to give read a couple of paragraphs from our guidelines for separation, divorce, and remarriage because I want you to see the heart of the elders toward you and toward a difficult marriage. The elders at Cole Community Church believe that marriage is a wonderful gift from God. It offers the most profound love, intimacy, and self-sacrifice that we humans can experience on earth. Christian marriage also illustrates before a watching world the mystery of God's great love for us. And good marriages are the foundation for a healthy society. Therefore, we as a church want to be used by God to encourage strong and healthy marriages. We want to see people moving toward and enjoying God's plan for marriage. However, we realize that marriage is difficult. Personal sin, our culture... And Satan himself are at work to bring division and destruction into our marriages today. We do not want to see husbands and wives living together in a hollow, empty relationship. We as a church want to help couples to honestly work through the issues they are facing so they can move beyond the deep hurts and damage done in marriages and progress toward a deeper dependence on Christ. We recognize that this is a difficult road to walk and that it takes the power of God to bring healing to a hurting marriage. But we believe that if two people are willing to submit to our Lord, He can bring reconciliation and healing to a broken marriage. This is our desire and goal in working with hurting couples. goes on. We recognize that some of these guidelines require candid and vulnerable interaction with God about your specific situation. We would like to help you work that through and walk with you as you try to assess how God is leading you. The elders here at Cole ask you to bring us into the process as early as possible when you feel that your marriage is heading towards separation or divorce. If your marriage is in trouble, talk to someone, an elder, a pastor, a lay leader, a mature Christian friend here in the body. Let the body help. We are in this together. Please hear that. You're not alone. That's why the elders started the marriage ministry about a year and a half ago, and we assigned Rod Ritchie to head up that ministry to strengthen marriages and do what we can. So if you're really struggling in your marriage, talk to Rod. Let him deal with it. No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) I really want you to hear, though, you're not alone. We want to walk through it with you. We want you to experience in the body of Christ the strength and the encouragement you need to walk through whatever situation you're in. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, thank you that you love us and you forgive us. Thank you that you have reconciled us to you in your love and you've chosen not to hold our sins against us. 
May we be ministers of reconciliation wherever we are, bringing shalom, bringing peace, bringing life. And especially let that be true in our marriages. Give us hope. And may we walk together to be the people of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.